This is EdTech Weekly. I'm your host, Ricky Zager, and this is episode 51, and I'm super excited that we have the very talented, very professional Christy back on the show. Welcome back to the show, Christy. Thanks, Ricky. It is good to be back. Sorry I've missed you for the last few episodes, but really happy to be back. I've been very lonely without you and Matt. I got to be honest, it's not fun doing it by myself. And I'm sure the people who listen to this podcast are running thin on patience. So I'm glad that there's someone else here to help us out. Yeah, happy to be here. It's hard to have a conversation with yourself on a podcast. So I get it. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I try. It doesn't work out well, but I think this, I like this new format we have going and I think it's going to work really well with someone else. So I'm excited to try it with you. So let's just see how it goes. We'll start with the EdTech News Rundown. Now, remember, um, for our listeners out there, we're just going through these stories quickly. If you want to check them out later on your own time, you can go to edtechweeklyshow.com, or you can just, of course, use the Googles and search them and find the stories if they interest you. Our first story comes from a Washington Monthly article and explains that MicroMasters programs are being started at some universities. The programs are available to anyone with no admission requirements, believe it or not. They're also free. What? Uh, A $1,000 fee is paid upon completion if you want to have a certificate that proves that you actually passed and completed this course. Uh, These programs can be used to help gain admittance and even earn credits for master's programs at some universities as well. So I think it's a pretty cool thing, and I think it could actually turn out to be something pretty neat. Yeah, I like the idea of more options. It sounds intriguing, um, but I'm also wondering about how these courses will essentially be accredited and then what value they'll have. Uh, I'll jump into our second story. Our second story, eSchool News reports that McGraw-Hill acquired Redbird Advanced Learning. Redbird Learning lets students get a very personalized experience that reportedly matches a student's skill level and pace. McGraw-Hill is adding to its already substantial offerings for K-12 through and no doubt will continue to make it a powerhouse in that space. Yeah, I kind of wonder if this is a case of a small ed tech company not being able to make enough profit and then they're just kind of selling out to McGraw-Hill and vice versa. Is this just McGraw-Hill saying, uh, you're actually a good competitor, so I'm just going to buy you up? Well, Redbird does have the power of Stanford behind it, so that's a pretty good name that would add to McGraw-Hill. Yeah, and I think they've suffered in the media a little bit some with some of their content, so this is probably going to help them out. Okay, our next story, Fast Company reports that Coursera may be changing the way coding is taught online. Coursera, a leader in online courses with over 1,500 available, has added a seemingly small text box to its courses that is, in all likelihood, a game changer. Uh, This text box allows for active coding uh, with results that happen sort of in the moment uh, in a text box, and it can be placed in an assignment or a quiz. Uh, the possibilities of an interactive coding text box are almost unlimited for computer science courses here on Coursera. Well, anything with coding, you know I'm for, so that's exciting. Yeah, I mean, I, I also kind of think it'd be interesting if this could be used like in a math course online where you can sort of introduce coding that way or literature. I think there's a lot of interesting things going with that as we move into an era where I think it's important that a lot of kids know coding. Yeah. Our next story, eCampus News ranks the 50 best online colleges. The colleges are ranked based on cost, quality, and flexibility. Within the top 20 are big schools like University of Florida and some unknowns like Siena Heights University. Certainly something to check out or direct your high school students to take a look at. Yeah, and I'm going to guess that this list is going to change probably from year to year, maybe even significantly. I just see so many changes in online education, especially at the higher ed level. Okay, the next story, the Japan Times reports on a very cool workshop for coding. 
Daisuke Kuromoto, I'm trying on that name, we don't know if I hit it or not, has been running this workshop for about eight years, and the objective is to help kids and adults sort of have fun learning coding together. Uh, He explains that it isn't him teaching code, it's basically a way for people to play in an environment with code, and then if kids get stuck, they are guided with a way to help them, but not really instructed in a traditional sense. Uh, I I think that would have been a fun way to get involved with coding, and maybe even right now it'd be fun to do, uh, maybe... It'd be fun to go to one of his workshops if I didn't have to go all the way to Japan. Yeah, it seems like if you give kids the basics, you know, it's, ama- it's amazing what they can do. So Absolutely. just let them go. Um, oh, this one's yours. Oh, you, no, you want to no, make me do two in a row? <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. No. <laughs> all right. The Telegraph tells us about a bold new online initiative in New Zealand. Every school-aged child is able to enroll with an accredited online learning provider. That provider determines the amount of time that students need to be physically present in a school environment. This has sparked a debate about the importance of schools and whether this approach will diminish the value of schools to our society. Yeah, and this is what we're going to talk about in our featured segment. So a lot of interesting things to talk about when a country, a whole country decides that this sort of stuff can be okay. And we'll talk about that more in a minute. But I didn't want to talk about ways to interact with the show. Please check us out on edtechweeklyshow.com. And also uh, go to iTunes and look us up at edtechweekly and uh, give us a rating. Um, what that does is just kind of helps people find us if they're looking for our show. So we'd really appreciate if you do that. And as always, email the show at edtechweekly at gmail.com. That's how Christy is a co-host, and she's doing an awesome job besides trying to stick me with another article. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> hey, question for you, Ricky. Do yeah. you still do the voicemail? Uh, hmm. So here's the thing. Not really. Um, it's still available, but, you know, from people giving me a hard time about it, you know, <laughs> like yourself and Matt, I've kind of dropped it and tried to go to ways that people are more likely to interact. So, all right, you know, we got to move and improve. That's what we're trying to do. And that's why we've changed the format. And with that, let's talk about this last story, Christy. I think we'll both have some different perspectives, being that I'm more higher ed at this point and you in the K-12 world. But essentially what New Zealand has done is said that every student can sort of register with an accredited online school and that school sort of decides how much time they actually need to spend in a physical classroom with other students. Uh, You know, there's a lot of fear and panic when you say things like that. And some people think, oh, the kids will never get in school and how are they going to get socialization and all that. Does this send any alarms for you as a K-12 instructor? Are there fears involved in this? Hi. I definitely think so, you know, and I'm wondering what criteria they are using to determine how much time a, a student is required to spend in class, how do they measure that, um, and then, you know, just how do they do that. You know, I am all for online learning, personalization, but I do see value to our school system. You know, we learn so much more in school than content. Uh, we learn how to, you know, be a good friend, how to work with other people. How do you do that in an online learning environment? Yeah, I mean, the same things we struggle with in in higher ed is, you know, cost efficiency and being able to reach more students. So we try to do more online and you you struggle with that. How do we make it feel this way? How do we make it more like a face to face class? And when you talk about young students and and in reading the article, it certainly didn't make any. Um, statements that talked about exactly how they're going to decide this, which I think is probably the biggest issue here. 
how are we looking at this? What statistics are we using that says students need X amount of face-to-face time with other students? Um, you know, we already see sort of society switching into a text-based way of meeting. Um, I've I've got a uh, friend of mine who's sort of been rooming with us for a little bit while he's looking for another job, and he's much younger, and he's, you know, he's on Tinder meeting people, and it's like, it's just such a foreign world to me, but it's not face-to-face in a lot of the things that these people are, a lot of the, the young people are doing right now. So I, I, I wonder, is this just preparing them for the way the world is for them, or is this something that we really need to be worried about? Yeah, I think it's got to be some sort of combination. You know, I think we all need to learn how to or know how to interact in an online environment. But also, you know, face-to-face is important as well. Think about our particularly young kids, you know, six, seven, eight years old. You know, what does that look like for them? I'm certainly open and interested in, you know, revamping education as far as what that looks like in the elementary school setting. You know, more project-based learning, um, more online but I do think being around other peers your age and having a teacher is really important. Yeah, I mean, until, and I just don't know that you can mimic that online. Like, I, I just, I don't know. Like, the, the social skills just aren't brought out online like that. And there may be, I mean, maybe we're going to end up with, you know, these virtual reality environments where we're all sitting in a classroom and we see each other and that and we learn to interact that way too but certainly we're not there yet and I'm not even sure that that would be a great thing either I think it's definitely scary um, as I have a three-year-old who's got this getting into school it's like part of why we love what he's doing in, in pre-k is he's learning to share he's learning he's learning all these really important sort of values and basic sort of human decencies that if he's not there is he really learning that that well you know Yeah, so maybe once they get older, like think about high school age kids, you know, once you turn 16, maybe 15, really starting to specialize, you know, there's so much that you can learn outside of school, whether it's through a vocational program or job shadow, um, project-based learning, Um, but at some point still having that connection to a school I think is important. You know, I heard a podcast today, I had spent some time in the car Um, and I unfortunately can't remember which one it was, but it talked about, you know, really what's the point of learning? Um, And this person identified three three purposes, and one was for academics, you know, we learn just for the sake of learning. Uh, One was for social, and one was for employment. So I think all three of those are important, and, you know, how we do that in our K-12 and then our higher ed system is a combination of, you know, in in a school, but also online learning can play a part in that. Yeah. And I I think it gets to a point of where people are sort of fed up with schools in general. They feel like they could be better. So they think like this extreme thing may be good, but I don't know. I I just, I, I get really concerned because even in higher ed, when we try to do online courses, the connection between the students with each other and the students with their professor is really difficult to mimic a real life connection. I mean, there's ways that you can sort of manufacture that, but I think courses that are online that meet every once in a while would be ideal even in college so that you have that human connection so that you know it's not just, you know, a a bot that's grading your papers. You know what I mean? Like there's got to be some of that. We are humans after all. We do crave stories and connections. I mean, that's part of what we are and what we do. And I just don't think digital, I'm not sure digital will ever be there. It's certainly not there yet in my estimation. And I, I just, I think 
without these really, really strict adherences to how they're deciding how much time, when you're just saying, hey, whatever this school decides, that's a little bit scary because we have a lot of these, um, uh, for some reason I can't think, charter schools. And a lot of them are f- fail and a lot of them go under. And so if we're just saying, hey, school, decide this, are we really sure these people are qualified to make those decisions? Yeah, there has to be some level of standard. This reminded me of that first article that you talked about, the MicroMasters programs, um, and everyone doing all these online courses at the higher ed level and wondering, you know, what's the standard? What's the credentialing? Um, like you said, you know, who determines whether you, you know, were proficient or not, or is it just on completion? And, you know, a thousand people can apply for certificates, but, you know, what does it really mean? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I think we've probably beat this a little bit, but I, I mean, it's it's a really interesting discussion, and I think it's a, a very important discussion to have um, in your districts, especially as you start moving to online and how we're going to decide this stuff and, and how it makes sense for students. Um, but I, I really enjoyed it, and I'm excited about this new format. I think if we continue it this way, it'll be really good. Let us know what you think about it. You can uh, tweet at me at 4TechTeachers, the number 4TechTeachers, or uh, Christy also at Christy M. Warren. Um, tweet at us, tell us if you like the show, new format, and, uh, of course, edtechweekly at gmail.com. Uh, you can email us, and if you want to be a part of the show, let me know. I mean, we're definitely growing we're growing slowly. I keep seeing more and more numbers. More and more people are following us on Podbean. Um, it's a really good thing. But, hey, if you want to be a part of it now, before it blows up big, if you know what I'm talking about, then when we start making the real money, you'll be there with us. Yeah, get in early. That's right. Christy's <laughs> smart. She got in early. And the best part about Christy is she's actually helping us to get more people because she's so good at what she does. So <laughs> this is perfect. One more Christy, and I'm telling you what, we can just I can just retire and you guys can take over the show. So that's awesome. Wait, no, I want in on the retirement. Okay, well, let's get two more people then. Get them okay. going, and then we can retire and just get all those ad revenues. <laughs> yeah, our big corporate sponsor. All right, Christy. Well, thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate you being on the show, and we look forward to seeing all of you next time on EdTech Weekly.